Hallelujah. Thank you, Stephanie, worship team. God bless you today. Look on the screen. Our text will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will not have you stand, but we are standing in our hearts as we reverence the Word of God. We have a high view of the Scripture. Here's, I hope it's on the screen now. We're going to say this together. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Reading together. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And just making a passing note, Peter, Greek word Petros, little stone, rock, Petra, Petra, heard of Petra, massive stone. And when we get saved, we become spiritual stones in his spiritual body. It's not Peter, but it's Jesus the church is built on. Amen? Father, bless your preaching today. Bless your servant today. We are completely relying upon the Holy Spirit. Open every heart in this room. Open the hearts of those who may watch this on the internet now and later. May you speak what you desire to speak about your blessed church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a series called Rediscovering the Church. Not something I got out of a book somewhere. This is something that the Lord spoke to me months and months ago. And I began to prepare my heart. And then it began to build. I had like a few messages, and now I'm up to nine. And we're only on the fifth one. Well, you say, well, you chuckle. Well, I'm, I preached my 20th message out of 1 Corinthians Wednesday night, by the way. I'd love to have you here. Hey, you know your church is open on Wednesday night, don't you? Some of you forgot that anyway. So, okay. So you're not preaching. Now you're meddling. Well, okay, why not? But we're in this series called Rediscovering the Church. Now, we're not talking about the modern church, not something, a new Lifeway book or GPH book. We're, we're talking about the ancient church. We, we're, we're going back to the to source who is mentioned in this verse here on this rock, Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church. It's his church. We're going back to the great architect, the great Lord, the great Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going back to the original document, not a Xerox copy. Our builder asked us to make some copies of some things, and they were plans, some plans here and some of the stuff on there for the city that he's going to have to do. He's kind of getting a plan together to approach the city. Well, I don't have a copy or as big as this rug here, so we had to take it and get it Xeroxed. And so, uh, but we're not talking about a Xerox copy. We're talking about the copy the original, the Word of God, says what the church should be. So, what, so whether first century or 21st century, God's plan for His church is the same. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church. Now, I want to take you back. Let's do a little history lesson here. Love history. Don't you love history? I'm sure you made A's in history, right? Okay, amen. Don't be lying now. We're going to have an altar call in a minute. We are going to have an altar call in a minute. Now, here's what I long for. I want my pulpit back. And I want some prayer benches. I miss. I, I can't wait. The first Sunday, I, I'm already. I'm already got it in my mind and in my heart. I'm preaching in my pulpit. We're all there celebrating. Brother Jimmy's out in the foyer. Come on, others, brother. I mean, brother. Uh, uh, other brothers and sisters are are in the foyer. We're greeting. Coffee bar's going. Coffee bar gonna be going. Amen. I know that coffee bar. And so, and we're preaching. 
and we got those prayer branches. I'm preaching in my pulpit that Brother Frank made me, and, and, and we are at times, we're, we on our face before God because the message has touched our hearts, and we just want to get on our face and humble ourselves, and we come and we kneel down at those prayer benches. It's going to happen in Jesus' name. It's going to happen. But let's take a history lesson. Let's go back. Let's go back to the first century. Let's go back to a, an out, listen, an out-of-the-way province. An out-of-the-way province in the mighty Roman Empire. The out-of-the-way province, the out-of-the-way city is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Insignificant in the world's eyes. Insignificant. There was Alexandria. There was Rome. Great, mighty cities. But God does things in ways that we don't, can't see. The world can't see. He takes the foolish things. He told Israel, I love you not because you're larger of any nations. You're the smallest of all the nations, but because I love you. And it's in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem in the mighty Roman Empire. You'll see the graphic on the screen. Israel was a land bridge. Now, now think about this. It was a land bridge. Now, let me take you back, not 2,000 years. Let me take you back quickly, 4,000 or so years, and then we'll jump back to 2,000 years. 4,000 years. And God revealed himself to a man by the name of Abraham. Now, whether it was 2014 B.C. or 2033 B.C., whether you're using the Gregorian calendar, the Hebrew calendar, it matters not. We'll use general terms. Some 2,000 years or so before Jesus was, was born, all, always existed, of course. And he revealed himself to a man by the name of Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm paraphrasing, of course, I want you to uproot your family. I'm going to take everything you own, and I'm going to lead you to a place that I will show you. And, he, and so Abraham makes his way around the Fertile Crescent, and he makes it to this land bridge. He makes it to this place that is a land bridge to th the three great places there, Europe, Asia, and Africa. Israel is a land bridge. Now think about this. It's like a highway, 500,000 cars or so pass. You know, let's see, if you're wanting to make the name of Jesus known, and get more visible. Do you want to be at the park or do you want to be on the thoroughfare? I want to be on the thoroughfare. When God wanted to make his name known through the Jewish people, he put his people on the highway of the world. Strategically, he wanted to use Israel to let the glory of Jehovah shine through them to the entirety of the world. So the great highway, the great intersection of the world, guess where it was? The, what we call the Holy Land today, the great nation of Israel. In some places... Israel's not more than 60 miles wide, but it is a land bridge. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? He wants to make his name known. So for some 1,300 years or so, give or take a few years, I mean, the, the land of Israel's changed hand more times than you can believe. I mean, the, the Muslims had it, the Jews had it, the Crusaders had it. Now, you know, the, thank God the Jews have it again. It's their land. Amen. Because here's what the Word of God says. God gave this promise, and it's still intact. We should love the Jewish people. Genesis 12, listen. Now the Lord said to Abraham, 
Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you of you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. That's an understatement. Who do you know who is revered by Jews, by Muslims, and by Christians? Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Listen. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Listen. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I could never be a Calvinist. I could never be a Calvinist. I've read more Reformed theology than probably anyone in this room beside Olin. Right, Olin? Olin's a reader. He's my buddy. We swap books. We have the same addiction. Bookitis. I could never believe that in eternity past, that God, before someone had a choice, that for before someone was even born, that God had already who he's gonna, who chose who he was going to send to hell or who he was going to send to heaven. I don't believe that. I believe what this verse says here. Whosoever will may come. All the families of the earth to be blessed. Whosoever will, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what the color of your skin is, Jesus loves everyone. The gospel is for everyone. And we can choose him or we reject him. God didn't choose for us. What God did is made the plan of salvation for us. God built the bridge from our lostness to his redemption. And whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. I wish I had a megaphone. I'm watching now. You don't turn around. Remember, Lot, remember Lot's wife. But anyway, I'm watching cars pass. I'm watching cars pass. And I wish I had a megaphone that said, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Be saved from your wretchedness. He will save you. Abraham. Now fast forward with me 2,000 years back to a group of people in an out-of-the-way province in the mighty, mighty Roman Empire that ruled the world for a thousand years. It's just a little handful of people. It's in the same city right there, Mount Moriah, where 2,000 years before that, 4,000 years ago, general numbers, of course, where God said to Abraham, Get off for your son, your only son, right there. And he was about to do it in complete obedience to God. And the Lord stopped him and showed him a ram. And it said, the Lord, will, the Lord shall provide Jehovah Jireh. Right there, now, 2,000 years into that future, 2,000 years back from us, a group of people meeting in an upper room or Solomon's colonnade somewhere. And what are they doing? They're praying. Who are they? They're Christians. Not named Christians yet. Not named Christians yet. That's later. Antioch. But they're the followers of Jesus. I love that term. I'm a follower of Jesus. They had watched Jesus die on the cross. They'd watched Jesus hang between heaven and earth for some six hours. The seven sayings from the cross... And finally, their Messiah that they hung their hopes on 
said, it is finished. And he cried out and he gave up his spirit. Nobody took his life from him. Listen, nobody took his life. He said, I lay my life down. Listen to me. He could still be hanging there 2,000 years later. Right now, he could still be hanging there. Nothing would have killed him. He is the prince of life. He gave his life willingly. He died put in the ground. But he had prophesied to them, but they couldn't hear it. I talk to people that they, they listen, but they don't hear. You say something, they listen, but they don't hear. And he kept saying to them, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, but I'm going to rise on the third day. They, they heard the suffering part. They couldn't get the raising part. They didn't even believe it. His own, many of his own followers didn't even believe. Read the story after the resurrection. They still doubted. Even when he showed up, I'm like, come on, guys. But he's just like us. They're just like us. And finally, 40 days, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And they still they said, Lord, will it you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, national Israel? What did he say? It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. And he said, wait. And here they are. That first little 120 and they, he said, Terry, wait. And so they're praying and they're waiting. And then all of a sudden, because, you know, he said, Terry, in the city of Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, Acts 2, suddenly they're praying. Well, don't you know if we would pray more and be holy before God and pray? As Stephanie and the team sang, that fire. Listen, if, you ever, if you've ever experienced the fire of the Holy Spirit, nothing will satisfy your soul. I was saved in revival. I was born again in revival. An old Catholic boy. Catechism, First Communion, Catholic school. I mean, if you could imagine me in a little black and white robe standing there with a the little cross or, or standing there with the plate, having the wafers there, helping the priest. I mean, I've been on a platform all my life. God had called me way back then. Wasn't saved though. But then the Spirit of God, what the old method is called prevenient grace. How many of you know we don't come to God on our own? We don't come just when we, if the Spirit of God did not convict us or deal with us or make Christ real to us or show us our need, no human being would ever, the Bible says no man seeks him. It takes God's grace. We have a choice. He doesn't choose for us, but he wakens our heart and we have a choice. And I remember when the prevenient grace of God began to work in my heart. And at that moment when it came through the gospel, the Holy Spirit made Jesus real. And I knew that I knew that I knew I was completely lost. I, in my heart, in my mind, was the most wicked, the most vile young man that had ever lived. That's what I thought in my heart. Because how many of you know, before you can be healed, you got to know you're sick. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does he deals with our sin. And he dealt with my sin, and I was saved, truly converted, so transformed. I'll say this quickly. I've said it before. So transformed that it was such a shock to my mom and dad that they knew that the, you know, the Spirit-filled church, they speak in tongues, they're a little emotional, and she was terrified. She's terrified. Here's what she said, though. Here's a great testimony in my, in my thinking. She said, I don't know about that church. 
I don't know about all that they do, but what I know is this. If they can do this for my boy, there must be something good in that church. I was once blind, but now I see. Remember the man said that? I don't know how it all happened. I don't know all the details. All I know is a man named Jesus, I was blind, and now I see. Oh, we need testimonies. We need living testimonies of of demonics that come out of the tomb, cutting themselves day and night, screaming out. But oh, they meet Jesus, and after they meet Jesus, they're sitting, clothed, and in their right mind. We're in the life-changing business. Our Savior is. He can change lives. So these believers are there, and they're praying, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then all of a sudden, cloven tongues or divided tongues like as fire set upon each of them. So to my mind, it's like fire comes in, and then off the fire, little, little flames of fire lighting on each one like little tongues of fire, little flickering of the flames lighting on each of the heads. And all of a sudden, they, be, they, were, they began to speak with tongues. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them. Mary, you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Peter, all these people, they began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Amen. What a beautiful text that is. Now listen. From that moment, Acts chapter 2, now we're rediscovering the church. From that moment... Within 100 years, approximately, of Acts chapter 2, within 100 years, that little group of people had taken the gospel through the entirety of the, of the known world, the entirety of the Roman world. They had spread the gospel within 100 years. And my question is, how could that happen? Not only that, listen, a little history lesson here. Within a little over 300 years, we're so blessed with this, even this building. Do you realize that even this little temporary building we have here to meet in, do you realize the first century church would have given everything they own to have even a building like this. We're not only going to keep this building, we're going to have a 20,000 square foot building with a sanctuary, kids wing, with offices, with kitchen, with coffee bar, with foyer, with, with classroom, places to worship God. They would have given everything they own for 350 years approximately. They had no buildings at all. They would burn their houses down. They would confiscate their wealth. And yet, within 100 years, they had spread the gospel to all the known world. And within about 300 or so years, the entirety of the Roman world was Christianized. And the emperor declared officially that Christianity was the religion of the Roman Empire. How does that happen? It's amazing to me. The church is a miracle Not only had the tides turned. How I many you know God can turn the tides for his people? Not only had the, the emperor 
In, in fact, the, 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 you know, the, the, the empire had been divided by that time. There was a western emperor, an eastern emperor, and a western emperor. They met together, and there was a decree that Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. Not only did it have a favored status, but now the Jews and Christians were able to persecute pagan religions. The tides had completely turned, had changed the entirety of the world as we know it today. Do you know how powerful the gospel is? Do you know how mighty your Savior is? We're talking about building a little old building here. We could change the world with this gospel. Glory to God. Our vision is too small of who Christ is. Our vision is too limited. Our faith is too small. We serve the Christ who conquered death, hell, and the grave and reigns at the right hand of the Father. He is the head of the church, and he loves us. Glory to God. He is Jesus. So think about it. There was within 300 or so years without political power, without military power, without social status, they changed the entirety of the world. Constantine, his, Constantine's mother actually became a Christian secretly first. Later, the emperor Constantine made a peace. He didn't, he's not the one. It's the emperor that followed him that made the edict, the law that Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. But Constantine called 300 bishops and, and made an edict officially at the, nice, uh, 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 the, the Council of Nicaea. And they, he, he the, the Roman emperor, said, Jesus Christ is God. A Roman emperor. How does that happen? How in the world does that happen? You think we can't change Mesquite? You think we can't change Dallas County? You think we can't change Texas? You think we can't change America? You t- Listen, the blood of the martyrs is the, is the life of the, of the church. Now in our series, I'm going to give this to you quick. See, I thought you'd been giving it to us. Well, I hadn't got to it. That's all introduction right there. I told Taylor, Taylor's studying for ministry. What did I tell you, Taylor? I said, here's what I taught Taylor. I said, Taylor, the introduction of a message is like the front porch of a house. When somebody knocks on the door, you don't keep them on the front porch for an hour. You get them in the house. Taylor, ignore everything I just did. <laughs> It's amazing what we learn in books. It doesn't work sometimes, right? We don't pastor from a classroom, right? We pastor people. How? Think about this. How? 120 people, uneducated, no power, no money, no armies, no status, hated Within 100 years, spread the gospel all over the known world. Within 300 years, change the whole world. My question is this. See, we've been in this series. We've talked about rediscovering our Messiah. We've talked about rediscovering our mission, our 
message in our ministry last week. My question, and I won't be long, my question is, let's, just, let's rediscover our might today. What made the church so mighty? What made the first century church so powerful? Let me tell you. First of all, here's my first point, and that's this. Our might is a person. You hear that? Our might is a person. It's, his name is Holy Spirit. Everyone say that. Holy Spirit. Say it again. Holy Spirit. Our might is not some impersonal force we use. Our might is a person that we relate to and that we can experience. Everything we have, we have by Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, and through the person of the Holy Spirit. Comes from the Father, through the Son, to us, through the Holy Spirit. Our might is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. What kind of person is he? He is a divine person. He is a member of what we call the Godhead, what we call the Trinity. He is, we have one God, three persons. Not one God acting out three parts. There are three persons in the Godhead. There is the Father. There is the Son. There is the Holy Spirit. We see, you say, when is the Holy Spirit mentioned? He's, he, you open your Bible. All you got to do is open your Bible, get past the introduction there, and tell them how the translation is made. And you open your Bible, and you get to chapter 1, and you get past verse 1. And in verse 2 of the opening of the Bible, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it says... And the Spirit was, what does it say, was, was hovering, the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. We don't get one verse in. In fact, there's no verses in the Bible. There's no chapters in the Bible. That's not how it was written. That's what we put in. That's what man put in in the 12 and 1300s for memorization. And I'm glad he did. Amen? Because if you said John 3.16, nobody would know where you're going to, right? It's a good preach. Good to wait. I mean, it's wonderful that they reference it like that. It's just the Bible. It was written in a scroll. And so you get to the second passage. And there he is. The Holy Spirit. Listen. Hovering over the chaos. I told my wife this this morning. We were sitting on the couch. I said, have you noticed where the Holy Spirit doesn't rule people's lives? There's chaos. See, the world, Genesis 1 and 1 and 1 and 2, chaos, right? The chaotic world. And all of a sudden, when, the, when we let the Spirit of God in, order comes in. I like order. Holy Ghost order. I like order. I want my life to be in order. I want my dress to be in order. I don't like people that dress sloppy. I mean, I like them, but I don't agree with it. I know we're dressing more casual all the time, and that's all right. There's nothing, nothing you know, go to heaven whichever way. I think we should have order. I want order in the church. I want order in my home. I don't want my home, I don't want to have laundry in the sink. I want there to be order. You ever notice when the Spirit of God comes into someone's life, like the demonic I mentioned, it said he was sitting, he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. Where the Spirit of God is not residing, marriages are disordered. 
Finances are disorder. Churches are in disorder. There's strife. But you ever notice, if we'll let the Holy Spirit come in, he'll take our disorder and he'll make order out of it. He'll fix our lives. He'll break the power of sin that's driven us into disorder. And when Jesus is the Lord of our lives, we begin to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And part of that fruit is self-control. But we see that our might is a person. And this person is a divine person. We see in the Bible that all three of the persons are at the baptism. The Father spoke from heaven. The Son is being baptized down in the Jordan. And then all of a sudden, John sees the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. All three persons of the Godhead. This church's name. Everybody say, Trinity Life Church. Say that. Trinity Life Church. You say, Pastor, where did that name come from? Did we just pull it out of the hat? No. It came from this verse. It came from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. That's where this name came from. Trinity Life Church. Life from the Father, life from the Son, life from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, not only is this our might, the Holy Spirit, a divine person, but he also has divine attributes, the Holy Spirit. Now, we understand that the, the Father is God, the, whole, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. You understand that? That's what we believe. We're a Trinitarian in all, most all Protestant churches, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever, they're, they're Trinitarian. That's true about, it's who God is. It's who God has revealed himself. You say, what is our might like? What is the Holy Spirit like? Let me list these quickly, 15 facts about the Holy Spirit. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's eternal. He's called God in Acts 5. He's equal with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we baptize in what? The name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He has a mind, Romans 8, 27. He searches out our human minds, 1 Corinthians 2, 10. He has a will. He, he forbids things. He leads. He speaks. He loves. He grieves. He prays. Sounds like a person, doesn't it? Not just an impersonal force, but a person we relate to in the Godhead. He's given names. The names of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the eternal Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of glory, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, the comforter, the promise, the Spirit of promise, the, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of faith. He's mighty. Do you know that? I'm talking about where your strength comes from. He gives gifts, 18 gifts, apostleship, prophecy, miracles, healings, tongues, interpretation of tongues, knowledge, wisdom, discerning of spirits, giving, ministering, exhortation, showing mercy, ruling or administrations, faith, teaching, evangelism, pastoring and teaching. Sounds like a mighty God, doesn't it? What a mighty Holy Spirit he is. Oh, we want him, don't we? 57 ministries of the Holy Spirit. He was at work in creation, as I read. He inspired the Old Testament. He inspired the writing of the New Testament. He came on Joseph. He came on Moses. He came on Joshua. He came on Othniel. He came on Gideon. He came on Jephthah. He came on Samson and Saul and David and Elisha and Elijah and Azariah and Zechariah the priest. He came upon Israel's elders. He led Israel through the wilderness. He, ministered to, he will minister to Israel in the great tribulation. He will minister to Israel in the millennial reign. He has restraining power to restrain Satan. 
He provided the Savior, our Savior Jesus, he, with an earthly body, Luke one thirty five. He anointed Jesus. He directed the Savior to go in the wilderness and be tempted by the enemy. He empowered the Savior. Matthew 12, 28, he caused the Savior to sorrow. He caused the Savior to rejoice. He led the Savior to Calvary. He raised, he raised the body of Jesus from the dead. He convicts unsaved persons of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. He gave birth to the New Testament church. He desires to inspire worship in our worship service, Philippians 3 and 3. He desires to direct our missionary activities. He desires to aid our singing in the services, uh, Ephesians 5. Right, Sister Stephanie? Ephesians 5, 18, 19. He, uh, he appoints his preachers. He appoints members, First uh, warns members, 1 Timothy 4, 1. He desires to determine our decisions, Acts 15, 28. He desires to direct its evangelistic attempts, Revelation 22, 17. Alone, he is able to, uh, to condone and condemn ministry. He regenerates the believer. He baptizes the believer in the Holy Spirit. He indwells the believer. He seals the believer. He fills the believer. He conforms us to the image of Christ. He strengthens our new nature. He reveals biblical truth to us. He assures us. Concerning salvation and service, he gives us liberty. He fills our mouth with appropriate things. He prays for us. He guides us. He teaches us. He empowers our witness. He imparts the love of Christ to us through Romans 5 and 5. And will someday raise our bodies from the grave. What a mighty Holy Spirit we have. Our might is a person. He is a divine person. He is God. He is here today. He lives in each believer's heart, and he lives among us in his mighty life. And we want him. We want him. We want him in Jesus' name. He is a divine person. He's also a dynamic person. He fills believers with supernatural power. He anoints his people for effective service. It's amazing. The apostle Peter did not have the strength and the will on his own to even withstand a little servant girl by a fire. So weak was the apostle Peter that that little young lady asked, are you with Jesus? He didn't even have enough power to say, yes, I'm with Jesus. Yes, I love him. I'd rather die than deny him. Instead, he said, I don't know him. What? But, but your speech, you're a Galilean. Surely you're with this Jesus. Nope, I'm not. Three times he denied the Lord. I believe it's probably a wound that he carried with him the rest of his life. We all can disappoint ourselves. Come on, amen? We can all disappoint ourselves. And not this that we can. In our Christian lives, we've all done things that we're probably disappointed in. But we know that in the Gospels that, of John, that Jesus met Peter on the shore, seashore and asked him three questions to confront him with three denials. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And every time, it was like a surgical spiritual knife cutting into his soul. You know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. You know what he's saying in a sense? Peter, your, your failure's not final. 
The devil will tell you your failure is final. He'll tell you that you've sinned too much. He'll tell you you've made too many mistakes. But I want you to know we serve a God. If we want to be restored, we can be restored. We may have our feet down in a miry clay, but he can lift us up. He can lift us out. He can reanoint us. He can reestablish us. He can give us a new touch. He can give us a new start. He can give us a new ministry. And guess what? Guess, guess who it was on the day of Pentecost? Guess who it was that preached the first sermon? Weak, impulsive, vacillating Apostle Peter. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, you in your own time, go home, go home today and read Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, the Bible said when they were mocking and saying they're full of new wine, all of a sudden, Peter, it says that he stood up among all those people and says, this is that which Joel spoke of. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And that day, I'm going to pour out of my spirit. You will prophesy. It was Peter that preached that way that day. What was the difference? Because at the end of that sermon, the people said, what shall we do? And before he didn't have a strength of a witness for one little servant girl. What's the difference? It's the might of the church. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I read of a story of a pastor in another state. Talking about what the Holy Spirit can do. He's a dynamic person. He's, the word dunamis, you shall receive power. Dunamis means supernatural power in action. Do you know when you get full of the Spirit, we get in action. We want to be a church of action, moving in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I heard a story of a man. He pastured in a place. And one day, after a Sunday evening service, the Monday he was out visiting people and praying with folks that were sick or whatever. And then uh, he had this feeling Strange feeling. I need to go back to the church. And he thought, well, I have a meeting there in two or three hours, but I don't need to go back to the church now. And he thought it was just himself. But then all of a sudden, it started gnawing at him. This sense of urgency, you need to go back to the church. But he didn't know why. He goes back to the church, and he's sitting there. And after about 10 minutes, there's a knock on the door. He opens the door, and there's a young lady there. And, he said, and the young lady said, are you the pastor? And she said, yes. He, he said, yes. He said, well, can, can, can you help me? She said, well, sweetheart, what do you need help with? I, I, I need to know how to be saved. I want to be saved. Can you help me to be saved? He took her in the sanctuary, and they sat on the front pew, and he began to talk to her, and here's what she said. Last night, I was at home. I live in a boarding house. My husband and I live in a boarding house, so, so many people live there. I've been living in adultery against my husband. And last night, me and all the boarders at the house, our house, were, were in a big room, in the big living room, and the radio was on. And I heard you, the pastor was on radio. He had preached the night before on the radio. The service was broadcast, and he preached. And she began to listen. She actually turned the radio down low. And while all the people were in there, she put her ear down and she listened to the sermon. And the Holy Spirit, our divine dynamic person, our might, he convicted this young lady. He brought her under deep conviction of her sin. 
And she found the church. And she said to the pastor, can you help me be saved? Can you help me find Jesus? I'm lost. I need Jesus. And he led her to Christ. A week later, she was baptized, and she became a faithful church member in that church. God restored her marriage and healed her marriage, and God did a great work of grace. Now, think about this. What if he had not preached the message God gave him? What if he had not preached on salvation? What if he had preached on the third toe on the beast of Revelation, you know, or whatever, Daniel? What if he had not heard from God? What if he had been out visiting and brushed away that, that, that need to go to the church? What if she had not listened? What if she had not gone to the church? What if he had not been there? But the good news is we have a divine, dynamic person that can put all the pieces together, that can lead the church, that can, that can cause the lost people to go to the right place and be saved. We have a dynamic person. He is the Holy Spirit, and oh, how we need him in every part of our lives. Here's what the great Baptist preacher Vance Habner said. He said this, and I quote, When are we going to learn that all the wonderful things we read about in the book of Acts, the book of Acts were simply the outflow and the overflow of the inflow of the Holy Spirit? Can I read that again? He said, When are we going to realize when we read the book of Acts, what we have there is this. We have the outflow of the overflow of the inflow of the Holy Spirit. We need the outflow of the inflow of the Holy Spirit. What do you need? What do I need? We need the inflow, the outflow of the Holy Spirit of God. He is a dynamic person. I'll give you one more. If you don't have three points, and it's not a sermon. I don't have my poem yet, but three points in a poem, right? He is a divine person. He's God. He is a dynamic person. He is a miracle worker. He is wonderful. We need him, don't we? It's like the little boy. It's like the little boy who went to church. And his mom was sick, and she said, she sent him to church on the bus. He came back and said, sweetheart, what did the pastor talk about today? He said, well, the pastor said we're going to get another, God's going to give us a blanket. He said, what? She said, what, son? The, say that again. The pastor preached on what? He said, he said, God's going to give us another blanket. And he said, what text did he preach on today? He said that he, God would give us another comforter. <laughs> Now, you laugh, but he had it right, didn't he? God's going to give us another. I've got a comforter. He can comfort me. He can warm me when my heart gets cold. He can get, put a new fire in me. He can, give me, he can shield me from all the struggles and, and cause me to go through. It's the warm presence of the Holy Ghost. He's going to give us another blanket. Glory to God. He's a divine person. He's a dynamic person. I'll close with this. He is a desired person. What do you mean? We should want him, and we should, we should desire him, and we should seek his presence. Here's what our Savior taught. Luke 10, Luke eleven ten. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If, you, if a son asks a bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? 
If we ask him a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks an egg, will he give him a, offer him a scorpion? Now notice, the Holy Spirit is the desired person. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those I would say this, those who ask like this, well, Pastor, you know, I, 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 won't, I just don't know why I won't have more of the Holy Spirit because you can do without him. Because you can do without him. I would add this to give us understanding, to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask like this, those who ask, those who seek, those who knock like this. Those who, those who hunger like David did, as the deer panteth from the water brook, so my soul longs after thee, Lord. If, are you asking like that? Do you want him more than your daily food? Do you want him more than money? Do you want him more than praise? Do you want him more than, than, than some kind of, of, of entertainment? I want him. Come on, I want him. I want him in this church. I want him down every aisle. I want him in every little boys and girls class. I want him to be here because he is going to exalt Jesus. He's going to exalt the Lord. And that's the last thing. I said the last thing. I'll give you a fourth point. Here's the fourth one. And then let's stand. I'll give you the fourth one. So you don't know, I'm I won't think I'm lying to you. Music team come. Worship team. Let's all stand. Let me just say one more thing in closing. And that's this. I felt led to say this. He's a definitive person. The Holy Spirit, our might, the might of the New Testament church is a definitive person. What do I mean by that? He is very focused in his work. The Holy Spirit gets blamed for a lot of stuff he just doesn't do. Listen, if you go to a meeting, listen, are you listening? Come on. If you go to a meeting and all you can say is, man, that preacher was great. Oh, that preacher was wonderful. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. If, you're, if you talk about your denomination all the time, oh, my Baptist church, my Baptist church, Assembly of God church, Presbyterian Lutheran, it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible said, when he, the spirit of truth, is come. He's going to reveal truth to us. He's going to take of Christ. And he's going to show it to us. The Holy Spirit's a very definitive person with a very focused work. And that is this. When you have a move of the Holy Spirit, it makes Jesus real. It makes his blood real. It makes his cross real. It makes his, his, his high priestly ministry now. It makes his love real. It makes his miracles real. It makes his truth real. When the Spirit of God moves in us, listen, if you leave here today and all you can talk about is, oh, that sermon was pretty good, or that sermon was bad, or whatever, it's not the Holy Spirit. But if everyone leaves today and says, oh, wasn't Jesus so good? Then we've accomplished our goal, have we not? Now, we're going to close with prayer. And what I want to do, I know that some.